Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Red Wings podcast here at the Detroit News. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, and I'm joined by Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin. Ted, how are, how are Mark, things? It's been a while. We haven't been up here. It sounds. It seems like it's been ages almost. Ten days. Ten days since the Feels last like it's an podcast. eternity. And we're up here in the press box at Little Caesars Arena before the Detroit-Ottawa game. The Wings are back home after that successful California road trip. And really... Uh, I know about successful. Although they have gotten a point now in five consecutive games, so that's a positive. The three California teams aren't going great full tilt these days. San Jose's playing better. But, you know, give them credit. They went out there. They were in position to win each of those games. Uh, they played better hockey at, in certain areas, so good for them. I mean, you know, they have earned points in five consecutive games. I agree. Just relative improvement. Relative improvement. Yeah, after losing 12 of 13, the Wings are being led onto the ice right now by Jonathan Bernier, who had started four straight. You wrote about Bernier, who says he can read the play better when he gets more ice time. And for a small goalie, he's only six feet tall. What do you make of how he's improved or at least playing better with Jimmy Howard struggling a little bit. I think he's playing with some confidence for a change, Mark. I think this is the best, a little over one year that he's been here, I think this is the best stretch he's been, played been as a Red Wing. Um, and, I mean, they certainly needed it. Jimmy obviously isn't up to par right now. He's not playing very well up to his standards. Um, you, you, you're seeing progress from Bernier, obviously. I mean, Compared to what it was last year, there was not much consistency. Um, I think it was mainly just because that there, he did, couldn't get into a rhythm at all. He did, wasn't get, was getting in maybe once a week, once every 10 days. When you're playing every day, it is a big, is it, it is a major difference. Your timing is better. You can see with him, he just feels a lot more comfortable, I think, in net. It comes at a good time, like we said, because yeah. Jimmy Howard isn't playing very good hockey right now at this point. So kind of saved their bacon a little bit. Coming up on the uh, podcast, we'll hear about the uh, Red Wings Penguins Stanley Cup Finals in 2008 and 2009 with former Pittsburgh defenseman Hal Gill. And we'll meet former Red Wings draft pick Alec Regula of West Bloomfield. He was traded to the Blackhawks last month for Brendan Perlini. We'll also have a book giveaway, a free copy of Nicholas Lidstrom's book, and we'll have more on that at the end of the podcast. But first, let's hear from Jonathan Erickson. You talked to Erickson at today's game, skate Ted, and here's what the 35-year-old defenseman had to say about being back in the lineup. For me, uh, it's nice to be back, obviously. Um, um, played a couple of games down the road. Um, felt like I haven't missed, uh, when you see the guys, it's like, felt like it was yesterday. I had a great time uh, down in Grand Rapids. Obviously, my goal is to stay up here now and be healthy and, um, just glad to be back right now. So, Ted, what do you make about Erickson? I just read your story about how Erickson would commute to Grand Rapids each day when he was sent down there, head back home and see his family. His daughter said that, hey, when are you coming home, Dad, and things. Right. And he really seems quite grateful to be back up now, doesn't he? I think it says something about him, just the fact that he went down there, he didn't complain, he didn't bitch and moan. He went down there, and he's worked his way back up there. I mean, 10 games later, back up here and played a couple of nice games out on the West Coast. Um, look, I, I, 
I think there's a place for him here in the NHL, for, if not here, at the trade deadline somewhere else. I don't know how much hockey is, he has left beyond here, beyond this season. I don't think maybe even he want, knows at this point, but he's always been a very good pro. On and off the ice, I've always respected the way he goes about his business. Good for him that he worked his way back up there, up here. And Eisenman said, no promises in your story. Eisenman said, welcome back. No, to there me. was no promises no. that he was going to come back up here. Exactly. So, you know, in, injuries helped, obviously. They're decimated right now on defense. Yeah. So good for him that, uh, you know, he's in the lineup tonight. We'll see how much he can help him. Your story also said Danny DeKaiser and Trevor Daly are weeks away from coming back. Patrick Nemeth is getting closer. Philip Peronic is day-to-day. How is the defense sort of shaping up heading into the Ottawa game as well as Columbus on Thursday, Saturday in New Jersey, then back here against Carolina? Well, Mark, good for them Saturday night to earn a point out of a defense that had Dennis Chalowski, Jonathan Erickson, Dylan McElrath. Who are we missing? Joe Hicketts was back there. Uh, Madison Bowie and Alex Biega. I mean... (laughs) All six of those gentlemen have either been healthy scratches or spent considerable time in Grand Rapids this season. So good for the Wings to garner a point out of that uh, that lineup. Uh, it's not, boy, I tell you, it's not the way Flashel sounded this morning. It doesn't sound like the Kaiser's going to be back at least for another week or two or three. And tell you what, Trevor Daly, in the back of your mind, you kind of wonder if maybe he's played his last game as a Red Wing. I mean, you just wonder... He's so banged up. You wonder if sure. long-term injury list is on is that is on the horizon. I mean, he just can't stay healthy. He's not signed beyond this year. You do kind of wonder in the back of your mind if he's played his last game as a Red Wing at least. Okay, time now for those interviews with Hal Gill and Alec Regula. You're listening to Octopulse, taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild under Steve Eiserman. We're joined now by Nashville Predators radio analyst Hal Gill, a former defenseman who played 16 years in the NHL and won a Stanley Cup with the 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins. Welcome to the podcast, Hal. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a good talk with you. 2009, the Stanley Cup final at Joe Lewis Arena, the Red Wings. You were on the ice in the final six and a half seconds. Now, <laughs> on the ice, I'll set the stage. You're on the ice. With Rob Scuderi, Maxime Talbot's on the ice. He scored those two goals. Jordan Stahl is taking the faceoff. Craig Adams is there as well. So Dan Baisma had you guys on the ice. The Wings had pulled their goalie. Henrik Zetterberg was taking the faceoff. Pavel Datsuk was on the ice. Johan Franson, Thomas Holmstrom, Brian Rafalski, and Nicholas Lidstrom. What happened yeah. next? Well, <laughs> that was a long time <laughs> for me. Six and a half seconds, it felt like uh, an hour. But... Uh, yeah, I, you know, in that situation, I'm thinking yeah. if I can block a shot and fall on the puck and and run out the time, that would be perfect, you know. And at that point, I'm thinking do whatever I can. If I remember it correctly, and it was a blur, is the faceoff went to Rafalski. Rafalski shot. I did try to block it. It went off me, caromed off to the side, and it kind of sat in a slot before it got kicked out to Lidstrom. And that's a disheartening feeling when you see Lidstrom coming down the backside. And that was, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury comes across with what we called the bodyguard save, where he just kind of threw himself across the crease and and uh, somehow made that save. It was, uh, you know, it's a, dream, it, it's a dream of every kid to be in 
Game Seven, yes. Stanley Cup Game Finals, seven, yeah. and uh, and to be in that situation, to be on the ice, um, you know, that that's everything to me. And it, it took. We went through a lot to get there, um, but when it was over, it was just you know every ounce of energy you throw onto the ice, and to to be able to come out on top was pretty special. You know, we had Nick Lidstrom on earlier talking about his book Pursuit of pursuit of perfection he talked about that one play not winning was the greatest regret of his career he moved up like you said the puck yeah kind of ricocheted off you and looking at the goal again or the near goal today it looked like he had some room on the short side but Fleury seemed to make like a soccer save like there was room there Hal I don't think if he had fallen the way he had Lidstrom might have gone short side there was room there yeah I mean that was that's what it's all about it comes down to one play and it defines whether you're a winner or, or you lose. And uh, I think that was probably the only bad play Nick Lidstrom ever had. So I'll take it. And it was came at the right time for us. Uh, but we had great. I mean, it was the second year we had met in the finals um, with Pittsburgh and Detroit. And that, that was just what a great battles we had. So more, you know, it sounds crazy, but yeah. more than winning the cup, I, I think it's about going through those experiences and being in a Game 7, being in the Stanley Cup Finals two years in a row, uh, it's, you know, those are the memories that I have. The Cup is is great, but being in that exciting atmosphere is really what you play for. What were those Stanley Cup Finals like as a defenseman facing the, the Red Wings oh. the year before Nick Lidstrom, <laughs> I think, was the first European-born captain to win the Cup in 2008? Yeah. But what was it like with all of these stars? We talked oh, about it, some of them here. Well, they're just so fast yeah. through the neutral zone. You know, you think you you have you get the puck and you think you're going to make a breakout pass, and Datsuk is picking your pocket and going the other way. And Zetterberg was always right where he's supposed to be. And you know, battling a guy like Holmstrom and trying to get him from yeah. going to the front of the net was was a, a miserable task. Uh, there was just so, so much depth and. What Detroit did so well is is played to their role. Everyone had a role. Everyone did what they were supposed to do. And uh, it makes it a lot easier when you have the defenseman that they did, honestly. Lidstrom, uh, I don't think he's ever made a pass that that has missed. It just he makes it look so simple and effortless. Uh, but on the power play, he'd come across, and I had no idea what he was going to do. And, and that was hard to play against. So it, there was a lot of challenges. Uh, one of the things I do remember is, being frustrated in 2008 because you can't really trash talk these guys. You can't oh, say anything to right, them. They right. just, they're just they machines. They just go out and they make the play and you couldn't get under their skin. They were unflappable and that's was uh, real credit to the leadership and, and the group and the way they conducted their business. And I, In the end, I think we really used that the next year. We said, this is how you win. We watched Detroit, how they played and how they won, and tried to mimic that and get that mentality. And uh, it's kind of funny that we faced them again. Yeah, that's hard to do, Hal. It's easier said than done. Yeah. Not to react exactly. Yeah, and you and you want to get under the other team's skin. Yeah. It's just it's tough to do. They're a good team. Now, in that game, uh, the Penguins, you guys had like 44 hits. Uh, the Red Wings had 25 giveaways. You guys blocked 20 shots. There were just a handful of penalties. You actually, I think, took one against Datsuk, but then you yeah. were plus two in the game. And I want to talk to you about... It. <laughs> these Look, are stats that these are, I've never looked at. You've it's never funny. looked at. It's well, funny. You do, when, you, 
when you lose, well, I think you look back now. and you yeah. say, oh, we did this, we did that, yeah. we, we could have won. When you win, all the stats go. All you care about is the score, right? Well, they look better but, now because yeah. I was trying to get a sense of what was that game. What was that game like? For example, you were on the ice with two minutes remaining, and Nicholas Cronwall hit hit the crossbar. Yeah, and and I think Flurry kissed the crossbar. Was like, of course, that, that always. That yeah. <laughs> he always does. Yeah. Yeah, that that could have gone in right there. It, yeah, it, and that was the fun part about both of those series in 08 and 09 was you're just. You, you keep going back and forth. We had one game in 08, I believe it was three overtimes or something crazy. Um, and you, you just play, you know. You, you, you try to, there's there's analytics and there's everyone's thinking about how you, what you're supposed to do. But at that time when you're exhausted, you know, you're going in between periods, eating a pizza and jumping back on the ice, seeing if your legs can go for, for another period. Uh, it really is just about playing, and that is the fun part. Is as as much as you look at all the stats, the hits, and you want to try and you you use that to be better for your next shift. You use that to be better for the next period. It really is about just playing the game. Maxime Talbot, we mentioned, scored two goals. Now, yeah, I mean he on that first goal, Talbot went in, and Stewart had the puck, and he could have gone up the boards to. Well, you were on the ice for the both goals. He could have gone up the boards to Franzen, but he tried to go up the middle to Philpola. It was knocked down by Malkin and Talbot scored. And then unfortunately too for Stewart on the next goal, a pinch, Yuri Hoodler didn't really back him up. So Stewart was minus two as Talbot went down the other way. Stewart also took a penalty. And my question to you is, that's probably the last thing you want going into that game to be that player, to have maybe not the support. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Brad Stewart, that of all games, he was under pressure. Yeah. It was a great game, right, Hal? Yeah. But I wonder what you think. You're not thinking this is going to be me during the game. Well, yeah, for me, you know, the role I played as a as a lockdown defensive defenseman. Yeah. A lot of times, I'm not going to be the hero, and I know that. You know, you're only you're, you're as good as you're going to be at the beginning of the game, really. Okay. And then it's just try not to make a mistake, and that's the hard part. It, it, yeah. It's a game of mistakes, and to try to go out and maybe that's what Lidstrom is talking about—the pursuit of perfection. Yeah. Trying to be perfect. It doesn't happen. How, you know? What a and fine, what a fine line, like it, you said. And Crossbar it is, here, Lidstrom, Stewart won't make that mistake. It, you know that goal goes in, Lidstrom scores, and it goes to overtime, and there's more hockey. Yeah. Uh, you're rewriting history, and then all of a sudden, you're not talking about what Yuri Hoodler did. Right. You're, you're talking about a whole different story. And, Absolutely. And I made a bunch of mistakes that game, and everyone did, <laughs> and it just. Uh, yeah. You know, you you got to overcome those and and try to get better every shift and and like I say, just play. Maybe one more uh, thought on that game. Sid Crosby, Sidney Crosby got hit by Franzen, and Crosby wasn't really a vocal leader at that point, so he didn't really know what to say. So did you guys know he was coming back? And I think he said Crosby said he was pretty quiet because he, he didn't know what to do. You guys were on a roll. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's kind of it's kind of a. a you know, as a leader, we all looked to him. He yeah. he was he was quiet, yeah. but he really drove the team. He was he was a guy that pushed it in practice. Uh, he did all the little things right. Um, so he was a leader. Uh, but I, I think the the any team that wins isn't just one leader. There's a whole okay. group of guys that you rally around. And when one guy is down, the other guys have to step up. That's why I always think it's funny. You know, who would have thought? You have Malkin, you have Crosby, and the guy who goes out is Talbot, who scores the two big goals, and uh, 
It's just about the next guy stepping up. And to be a good team, you have to be that. So, um, you know, it, it is interesting that Crosby was out for a, a little bit of that. So, uh, but we found a way to get it done. When did you lift the cup? Were you, um, what do you recall at Joe oh. Louis Arena? They're, they're demolishing it downtown here. I know. Detroit. Yeah, it's too bad. It's, uh, I, you know, <laughs> when I came into the league, one of my first games, I fought Joey Koser, and I was like, this is crazy. I'm in the Joe, Joe Lewis fighting Joey Koser. This is this is nonsense. But, uh, I, you know, it was always a tough arena to play in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we turned it around and won, and then, you know, to see it go away is, is kind of sad because there, I did have a, a ton of memories in that building. Um, not that this place isn't beautiful and, and uh, Little Caesars is great, but, um, yeah, I, I've, uh, even going back to in college, I played in an all-star game in the Joe, so um, you know, there's a lot of good memories. In a lot that of good building. memories there. Now, um, your coach was Dan Bilesma, who's on the bench with mm-hmm. Jeff Blaschel now, and I'm wondering, what did Dan bring coming up from the minors, replacing Michelle Terrion the year before? Were you guys tired of Terrion? He was pretty, um, pretty intense, and that's good and bad. He got you to the final, but yeah. what was the difference? Happening? Well, it was, it was, he was, uh, you know, a dictator. He was yelling and screaming. Sure. There wasn't a lot of. You know, if you had an idea, you didn't go to him and tell him. He told you what your ideas were. Uh, with with Bilesma, it was a whole different mentality. It was, uh, we're going to make changes. He put in three, four checks, four set breakouts. Oh. He, like, we are constantly changing. And it was really learning, relearning the game and getting excited about it and doing everything with a purpose. Uh, I think he's a, a smart guy, and, and he was very honest with what we're going to do and how we're going to do things and that was um, something that was was great for me because uh, you know I really enjoyed playing for him uh, first of all great guy he has a ton of passion for the game um, you know it's a funny story before game seven he said uh, has anyone played a game seven and there's a couple guys yeah 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 and he goes I he goes I've played over a thousand and we we're like what do you he goes <laughs> when you're a kid no one you always put always. your mind, your mindset is game oh. seven, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what you talk about. And he did bring out the kid in you, you know, and, and made the game fun and made it uh, be aggressive. You know, he, he talked to me and said, hey, get on the right side of the puck. Go, go, oh, go. Good. And so that was something that, you know, coming from Terry and who was more, you just do your job, shut up. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, a great motivator out of fear to have Bowsman come in. It was all about motivation because this game is a lot of fun and we can have fun winning. Hal, I just want to thank you again for coming on our podcast. I know you're getting ready for tonight's game. Thanks again for joining us on Octopulse, which is our podcast looking at the rebuild with Steve Eiserman. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, and uh, it's nice to talk about those old days. Joining us now is Alec Regula, 19-year-old defenseman with the London Knights and a former third-round pick of the Red Wings who was traded to the Blackhawks last month for Brendan Perlini. Welcome to the podcast, Alec. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Alec, you're from West Bloomfield, and your dad, Chet Regula, was the Red Wings team dentist for nearly 30 years. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But first things first, the Blackhawks, you signed a contract with the Hawks earlier this week, a three-year entry level, which is pretty typical for first-time players, a contract for $2.69 million. How did that feel, Alec, to finally get that deal, get it done and moving forward? Uh, it feels really good. You know, it's uh, 
a lot of hard work put into it and I think it's just some weight off my shoulders and now I can really just focus on having a good year in London and hopefully uh winning a championship here so it's just like I said just kind of a relief and uh it feels good now did you have any problems signing with the Red Wings or the fact that Steve Eisenman came in and was still sort of exploring what he had and what players or were there any problems to your knowledge or with your agent with signing with Detroit it's always tough when when um a new new management comes on and you know I, I was drafted by Ken Holland who's now with Edmonton and then you know when Steve comes on on board uh you're not you're not uh his draft pick per se you know so um he just he, it's kind of a clean slate and and uh I kind of had to make a first impression with him and and I don't think it was – I don't think – when I talked to Steve, when he called me, I don't think it was a matter of um, him not liking me or anything like that. I just think, I just think the, deal, the deal worked out for both, both ends. And, and I know that the Red Wings in, the, in their system in Grand Rapids, they kind of have a little bit of a log jam on, on defensemen. So, um, and they had – I think they had 48 or 49 of their other 50 contracts signed. So they're just a little bit tight there with Detroit, with defense. And – um, I was never really worried about being signed, but I'm just happy with how it all worked out. And it just, the deal just made sense for both sides. Did Eisenman say anything else other than to wish you the best? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what he said when, uh, when he called me. Cause you know, I, I was with the wings at camp for a pretty, pretty extended period of time. And, um, I was, I saw Steve, uh, pretty much every day and, and we had a, I, I really thought, I really felt like I got off to the right foot with him and I thought we had a good relationship. I thought I started a good relationship with him. And good, so good. obviously when he called me, it was a bit of a, of a shock to me. And he just said, listen, Alec, you know, I don't, I want you to know that this wasn't, this wasn't a matter of me trying to get rid of you or anything. He said, I, I wasn't planning on trading you at all. He just said that um, in the red, he said, just for me in the Red Wings, we were looking to add some scoring, uh, some offense, some scoring offense on our, front end and um we, we were looking to get Perlini and the Blackhawks came asking for you and they were pretty stiff on that and um it just like I said it just that's what he said it just ended up making sense for both sides and he just wished me the best of luck so I was just again happy how it turned out and I mean Steve is uh about as professional as they come so I mean with the little time I, I had with them uh, it was great and I would love to work with them again someday in the future. Alec you mentioned you were shocked with the trade um Obviously, that wasn't something you were thinking about. Beginning of the season, the Red Wings were struggling at the time, too. So this trade might have been made anyway, but certainly the Wings needed more players like uh, Brendan Perlini, and they needed Robbie Fabry, both of whom were like number one picks coming into the OHL, top players. So shocked? Is that basically how you felt? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty shocked just because, I mean... When I, I was just sitting on my couch watching TV and Steve texted me saying, Can, like, give me a call, Alec. And like, I figured, I figured that I was going to be getting signed, you know? So I called them like expecting him to say something on the lines of like, Oh, like we're, we want to sign you to a contract. And then, you know, he said, you've been traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. So I was just pretty taken aback, but it took me a couple of days to really sink in. But, uh, yeah, I'd say shocks the word. Now, your history with the uh, Red Wings, your dad would take you down to Joe Lewis Arena. He was the team dentist. What did that job entail for the most part? Would he be at the games in case players needed help? So my dad runs his own practice in Livonia, Michigan, and uh, that, that's kind of how he got with the Wings. And um, so his, his practice kind of took on the, the entire Red Wings, and they'd go, they all go there for their checkups and stuff like that. And then part of the deal there was that he has to be at all the home games for Detroit and um, him and a couple other doctors, they were, um, 
they were just on staff every home game and every every time someone had kind of like missing a tooth or something like that or something going on with mm -hmm. their mouth he was always in there working on them so he was a dentist for pretty much um my entire childhood uh growing up there so I was I was in and out of the wings locker room for all the way up until I was 13 12 13 so I got to meet a lot of great NHLers and I uh, got, got to kind of get a look behind the scenes. It was great. And what did you find about being behind the scenes? Certainly you developed some friendships from what we've been reading with Valtteri Filppula and others. You were born in the year 2000. The Wings won in 2008. And then 2009, they were in the cup final again. So what was that like being down there with the Red Wings? It was crazy. It was great. I remember, I remember all those playoff series so vividly. And um, I, would, I would go to all the games. And I remember one of them was pretty funny. I... Uh, I remember one of them went to OT and I was like nine years old and me and my brother, my mom's got a great picture. Me and my brother are in the, are in the crowd in overtime and we're dead asleep. And then the, whole, <laughs> the whole crowd, that's all into it and we're sleeping. So, I mean, I, it's just little memories like that. And I mean, I just got to meet so many great players, whether it's Pavel Dotsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, all these guys growing up and uh, Nick Lidstrom. So, and, and uh, like you kind of touched on, uh, I had, I kind of formed a really good relationship with Valtteri Filippula. I just kind of had like, I don't know. He was like my favorite player for some reason. And I was always looking, I was always looking for, I probably have 50 bucks signed by him. So it was just, it was, it was great to, to get a, get another look inside of hockey when I was younger. It kind of just drove my passion that much more. Any other memories too? that 2009 final game seven, were you there? The game seven uh, shot with uh, Lidstrom coming in from the point against Flurry. Were you there for that game? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, it's just moments like that that I'll never forget. I mean, there's, there's not, you can't really say much about, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's tough to watch, but it's also like when you have an organization that's just successful so many, so many years before and you, you don't feel too beat up, I guess, because, uh, you know, they were the cup champions just not too long ago. So, but I mean, yeah, it's always tough to see your favorite team lose. You watched Nick Lidstrom play. You're a defenseman. Um, you've seen Lidstrom, I don't know if you were picking up on how he played, his positioning, when to read and react. I just think Lidstrom just one of the greatest defensemen in the game of the history. And I mean, you can't, you can never rep replicate a player like that. And I mean, it's just, they just got players like that kind of, they just have a, they have that sixth sense, I guess you could say. And mm -hmm. they just, they just know, know when to, when to make the right play, when to do this, when to do that. So. I mean, it's just incredible watching that guy. And I think, I think, uh, what, what, what made him so great his whole career is just his consistency. You know, like he brought the same thing every night. And I mean, every time, every time he's on the ice, you know, what he, you know what he's going to bring to the table and, um, you never, never be worried with him out there. So. Now you're off to your uh, best season in your three years with the Knights, 15 points in 14 games, you're plus 15, which is second best in the league. You're plus 70 in three years with the Knights. Third year now, like what, what do you see? Do you, are you seeing the game better or, or how do you account for this relatively fast start with really a stacked team in London? I think I just have a lot of experience this year and, um, you know, I'm just kind of trying to focus on getting ready for pro next year. And um, it's just trying to be a leader every day and, things are kind of coming a lot easier to me this year, just from all the, all the years I've been, been here before. And um, like all the great players that I've played with here, whether it's Bouchard or Bokefist, guys like that. So I've learned a lot and I've come a long way. So um, I think kind of the start that I'm off to isn't really a, a surprise to myself, just from all the work that I've put in and, and where I've started and where I've come. So um, yeah, I just think I want to keep it going and hopefully I can 
uh, lead this team to, to a deep run in, in May. Alec, how about the World Junior Championships and the USA Hockey invites? It's ironic that if you do get invited and play, your first game would be against your London coach, Dale Hunter, who's coaching the Canadian team. And Canada plays U.S. at the World Championships in the Czech Republic on Boxing Day. But how important is that for you to be invited to USA Hockey's uh, camp? Uh, yeah, I think it's really important for me. And uh, that's something I really want to – I really want to be a part of, and I've worked really hard to, to prove that I think I belong in that conversation. And um, I'm just trying to have, have uh, play the best I can every weekend here to kind of prove that I, that I belong there. And uh, whether, I, whether I get invited or not, uh, uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I think that if, that if I were able to play for that team, that's something that I'd be able to um, look back on forever and be really, be really grateful for. So, um, yeah, hopefully I uh, get the invite there. When you look at the trade now, how do you – you've had some time to think about it. You've been signed by the Blackhawks. You've discussed it a little bit earlier on. Um, it might have been nice to stay in Detroit, but some players don't get a chance to do that. So, in hindsight, um, any final thoughts on, on these last, uh, last few weeks uh, moving forward in your career, Alec? Yeah, I mean, I think – I honestly think that uh, it couldn't have worked out better for me. And um, looking back, I wouldn't want it to go any other way. I know that – I was, I can say I was definitely a little bit worried about, uh, about my professional future. Uh, when I was, when I was with Detroit, you know, I, I wasn't signed and, um, Grand Rapids has a lot of D like I said earlier. So I didn't really know where I fit in, but, um, with the trade, I feel I've, and after talking to the, to a lot of staff and the Blackhawks, I just feel really confident that I can, um, play professional hockey next year. And, um, and I, and I think that if I, if I come ready to go and, um, play, play the best that I can play. I think that I truly could, could make the Hawks. And I just think that I have a lot more opportunity with this organization. And um, they really worked out well for me, I think. Alec, thanks for being a guest on our podcast. And good luck the rest of the season with the Knights. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, we're uh, back with overtime, wrapping up episode seven. And last week, Ted, you featured... Ken Cal and Paul Wood celebrating 25 years in the broadcast booth, the longest-running radio team at Red Wings. That was an history. interesting stat, Mark. It yeah. really was. Yeah, I mean, you figure this, the history of this franchise, 25 years. I mean, have we, are there two nicer guys around the arena? I mean, good for them. I mean, they've done such a good job here. I, they're synonymous with the Wings. To yeah, a they really extent, are. Obviously, yeah. I mean, you got Mickey and. Kenny, uh, you know, Ken and Mickey on the TV and those two on the radio. It was fun to do the articles, you know, rehash some of the old memories. I'll tell you one thing, neither of them seem to be the retiring type. I think we're going yeah, to have them around <laughs> here, God willing, a little longer, and that's good news. And wrapping up, Ted, we talked about the uh, road trip, the Blue Jackets. On Thursday, you'll be in Columbus. Uh, they're 7, 8, and 4. New Jersey, they're seven, eight, and four as well. You'll be there Saturday. Then back here Sunday against the Hurricanes, we're 12, seven, and one. So how are how are things shaping up for this week? Two winnable games on the road, I yeah. would think, Mark. I mean, Columbus and Jersey. Uh, two places they haven't had a ton of success in, I don't think, during the recent years. So we'll see how that goes. Carolina's obviously one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they're, they're as deep as anybody in the league, so. Yeah. It's like Blashill always says, the cliche, but I mean, the re league is relentless. I mean, there's really no easy games. Even tonight here, Ottawa, 
I mean, they've won six out of their last ten. I mean, I think they're doing better than most people expected. So, I mean, it's a cliche, but there's no easy nights in this league. There really aren't. Our next podcast will be against the Toronto Maple Leafs on the 27th. You can also check out our new Red Wings Facebook page with our Grand Rapids report, Wings videos, photo galleries. And if you go to the new Octopulse Facebook page or go to SoundCloud and leave a comment, or if you like the pages, you'll be eligible to win a free copy of Nicholas Lidstrom's book, The Pursuit of Perfection. So until a week from Wednesday, Ted, have a good, safe week, and we'll see you then. Enjoy the game. Sounds good, Mark.